Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. Today on the show, we have Dr. Hernan Murdoch. He is the VP of Audit Content at ACI Learning. If ACI Learning is a new name to you, it's formerly the MIS Training Institute, or even better known as MISTI, M-I-S-T-I, where Dr. Murdoch held similar positions as the VP of the audit division there. So he puts together a lot of the uh, audit courses, the webcasts, the conference content. And without trying to age him too much, he's been around a while, long enough for sure that I wanted to ask, what his favorite audit story was. And so he gave us that, which I thought was very interesting. His latest book, Auditor Essentials, 100 Concepts, Tips, Tools, and Techniques for Success, um, was a topic of interest to me because of I like tips and tricks and all the other good stuff. And so from those 100, we asked what would be the number one tip, tool, technique, concept and so we got dr murdoch's answer there as well and then operational audits are something that dr murdoch speaks a lot about so we wanted to get his thoughts one can you define what that is for those that may not know and then from there he came up with these two really really good questions or he didn't come up with them at the time but two questions that he uses during an operational audit and i absolutely loved one of them and for sure think that we should include this type of question, maybe even verbatim as part of our standard kind of audit procedures when we're doing kickoff call or whatever it may be with a client. And then lastly, we talk about what soft skill should a technical person need? And that could even be a technical person in the sense of the auditor that's maybe not in the IT audit or data analytics space, but is very technical in the nature of the uh, audit work that they're doing. So Dr. Murdoch shares his thoughts there, which are fantastic. And then we even talk a little bit machine learning um, towards the end. So we hit on a lot of different topics. I would highly recommend following Dr. Murdoch on LinkedIn. Um, we'll put a link to his profile in the show notes. It seems like almost every day um, there's something that he's posting that, that's adding value. And so I'd highly recommend if you're not connected with Dr. Murdoch already, be sure to do that. Here we go. What makes your brain happy? <laughs> uh, my job is very diverse. So I really enjoy the creative aspect of it. So thinking in terms of how do we convey internal audit concepts? And of course, they are going to relate to compliance, going to relate to risk, going to relate to uh, controls and various other things that may be troublesome to organizations. But thinking in terms of how do we understand it better? So as a, in my current role, in terms of content development, that is where I really enjoy it, trying to think in terms of how do I leverage what the concepts and the frameworks and the mm -hmm. theories are about, and how do I bring in my own experience, and then how I convey it to those who are interested in these topics. And they can be new to the profession, they can be established, they can be leaders and managers and directors, but this ability to be creative is one of the things that I enjoy the most about my role. Perfect. Now, what song makes your brain happy? <laughs> um, I don't know. There's so many different songs that I really like. Um, but uh, in terms of music genres, uh, I, I like 
uh, salsa when I need to, to be uh, motivated and amped up a bit. Uh, and when I'm looking for more uh, subdued quality time, just kind of reflective time, maybe jazz or classical. Sticking to just tools, what's a favorite tool of yours, whether it be a software tool or like a project management tool, a time management tool, like what's one of your, your favorite tools? So uh, I guess I, I, an easy default will be Excel. And uh, it's been around for a long time. And of course, it's been improved over the years where we now have a lot of functionality and add-ins and plugins that you can use with it. The capacity of it has increased substantially over the years. So all of that is very positive. Um, sometimes it is uh, used differently as well. It's, you know, it's supposed to be for data and, and for organizing information and being able to dissect it different ways. But you can also use it to organize thoughts, to do outlines, to... Um, uh, capture, um, you know, outlines for different things where you're going to start to organize by titles, by uh, topics, by uh, themes and various things like that. So you kind of use a little bit of a word processing mm -hmm. piece to it. Um, again, not the ideal environment, but it's just so versatile. Um, but by and large, I, I think Excel has a lot of potential to it. And as we think, for example, about data analytics, which is more closely aligned with its intended purpose, uh, its ability to facilitate data analytics has increased monumentally over the years. So from that perspective, then it is inexpensive. Most organizations already have it. And it's something that you can use in so many different ways and it's fairly easy to train on. So, uh, and of course the graphical features are also much better than they used to be. So they continue to give you what's resembling in many cases visualization type functionality. So you can do a lot of really neat things at a very reasonable cost. Yeah, well, I had an operations management professor when I was in school, and he did everything in Excel, like preached Excel all the time, like all our work had to be done in Excel, and we put like his calendar was in Excel, he used Excel instead of Word, so he would, that's, I don't know if you saw me kind of grim when he said that, but he did it the same way. And I remember um, we'd be like, oh, what a dork, like he's just using Excel <laughs> for everything. And then now it's like, pretty much the same way. Like if I, unless it has to be in word, it's probably, I'm probably doing it in Excel. So I love that answer. Um, if you could, this is the last of the kind of the four, if you could grab every auditor in the world by the shoulders and just shake them and say, please just do this one thing, what would that be? Communication. Uh, I, I think a big missing gap that we have in our profession is the ability to explain who we are, what we do and why we do it. Hmm. And we know uh, as a professionals, as auditors, we know what we do. There's still some people who are practicing kind of traditional old school auditing, but by and large, I think the profession has moved quite forward. But in many cases, we still have our clients who don't understand who we are and what we do. So I think that if we were to uh, focus on one thing would be communication and, and more specifically about what we are, how we do things and, and what's the purpose, what's the benefit, why do we matter? And, and that I think will help us tremendously. Perfect. And you've been in the profession for a long time. Um, so I'm curious, is, is there a favorite audit story of yours? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, there are so many, but one of, one of the stories that comes to mind, um, you could even say that it's not exactly uh, the traditional audit, it's more like a consulting slash audit. Uh, this company that used to manufacture electronic pieces uh, in Austria, and uh, because of cost uh, pressures and, and other dynamics, they needed to move to a lower cost location. So they were moving half their operation, half the manufacturing and all of their administrative work to Hungary. And then half of their manufacturing was going to China. Mm. 
And my team was to go to Austria, take a look at the administrative processes, look at uh, the, the winding down activities and how they're going to transition out of Austria to Hungary. So we went there, took a look at everything, spoke with the people, look at the activities, look at how they were organizing to move things out, and then went to Hungary to look at how they were getting everything ramped up and how they're going to manage the operations, the ITs, the policies, procedures, hiring, uh, dealing with customers and vendors. So it was a very interesting operational audit that we touched so many different things, but it was not the traditional compliance work. It was very much in terms of strategy and operations and quality management and so on. And the people were wonderful. Uh, and we were very pleased to see how well organized everything was. Everything was transitioning nicely. And then on the way back, we uh, drove from Hungary to uh, Italy. We went to Venice and we spent a day there and then we flew back to the US. So it was one of those really interesting artists that we did so many neat things uh, in so many ways. And yeah. uh, it was really, really enjoyable. That's, a, I think, an impressive ask almost. Like, did management come to you guys with that one or did you go to them with that? No, they came to us. Uh, we had been doing work for them for a while and they had this major initiative underway and they wanted us to take a look at things and give them our opinion on how things were transitioning because they had seen all the paperwork. They had seen all the spreadsheets, right? All the analysis that was done and all the things that they were being told by the people involved in the project, but they said, okay, go and take a look for yourselves and come back and tell us what you see and if there's anything we need to be concerned about, any focus areas that they are not paying attention to. We did, went back and brought pictures and everything and everything was checking out nicely, so it was good. I think that speaks a lot to the effectiveness of the internal audit <clears throat> department that you were in at the time, because it seems like a big ask for management to go, hey, internal audit, we trust your judgment so much uh, believe in the value that you're adding that we want to ship you over here, uh, and make sure that everything's kind of in, in order when we, when we make this switch. So, uh, kudos to you and your team for, for management, even coming to you for that. Yes. Yes. That's great. Thank you. So you've written multiple books. Uh, one of which that grabbed my attention is auditor essentials, hundred concepts, tools, and techniques for success. And the reason it did is just because I love, you know, we talked about tools earlier and I love those like tips and tricks and techniques and, and tools and right. things like that to, to make things a little easier. Um, so based on those hundred concepts, tools, and techniques, if you could only pick one, what would it be? I think the data analytics section, uh, it, it spoke a lot about, um, you know, what we can do in terms of data analytics. We've been talking about it for a long time, actually decades, mm -hmm. but a lot of people are still struggling in terms of what is it really about and what can we do with it? And yeah, there's so many different things we can do in terms of understanding risks, in terms of understanding processes, in terms of understanding financial information, uh, looking for fraud, uh, anomalies, uh, quality issues. There are a lot of different things encapsulated in it. So in that particular section, I talk about what it is, the potential, some of the uses of it, and, and how we need to demystify it. It sounds very complex and almost mm -hmm. intimidating to some people who may not think that they are very quantitatively oriented, but when you really think about what you imagine in your mind, as far as what we can do as auditors, and then say, okay, what tool will help me do that? I think DA can help you tremendously in that regard. So, so that's one of those. Because you're talking about concepts, tools, and techniques, and I guess is data analytics, are we calling that a tool or a technique or a concept? 
concept and technique. Okay. Uh, there are different tools for it, uh, right. and tools are getting cheaper and better over time and easier to use. I remember, for example, ACL. A lot of auditors can relate to ACL, which later became Galvanize and, and, and got rebranded more recently once again. But um, early on, we had this yellow parallel plug-in you had to put in the back of your laptop. And that's how you got your, your license to, to operate <laughs> the thing. And you, I needed to know some coding to be able to, to, to get the information out of it uh, and the utility out of it. And then, of course, it became a lot easier with hyperlinks and drag and drop and so on. So that's one example. But yeah. there are so many others. Uh, some people speak about, for example, idea and, and how they, they see it as more user-friendly, right, in some regards. Uh, and then more sophisticated tools like SAS and, and SPSS and so on. So, and of course, you have Tableau and there's so many tools. Perfect. But when it comes to uh, DA, it's a, it's, a, it's a methodology, it's an idea, it's a concept. Mm -hmm. uh, how you do it uh, may vary by individual and which tools they choose to use vary as well. And I've always told people, Use the tool that you're most comfortable with, because in some cases, there's a little bit of convergence happening among the tools where they're doing similar things, but um, people may gravitate towards one or another, maybe because of price, maybe because the organization already has it, maybe their accounting financial reporting group already is using one of them, so they mm -hmm. want to use the same tool. So that may, may vary a little bit, but other, other than that, uh, it's a matter of you using the one that you're most comfortable with. You have mentioned operational audits, though. So I was curious if you could, and, and your latest book is, is talking about operational audits. So I was wondering, how can we improve on our operational audits? And then a, a kind of a follow-up question to that. For those that don't know, could you describe what an operational audit is? So let me start with that in terms of what it is. So operational auditing, uh, by and large, is about reviewing the operations within an organization. And, and that will touch on just about anything within the organization. So how well is it executing? Mm -hmm. uh, a very closely related element there is in terms of how they are structured. So I think of it as built right in terms of the structure, in terms of policies, procedures, requirements, all of those things and, and the tools that are there. So is it built right? And then is it working right? So from that perspective, then how are they executing? As auditors, we can take a look at those dynamics and that will provide an early indicator of whether or not they are set up for success or not. So I think that there's a lot there that we can benefit from and we can also add a lot of value to the organization by doing that. Okay. So operation auditing is very dynamic and flexible and every organization will have its own processes. Some of them are going to be somewhat similar. If we talk, for example, about accounts payable, people say, well, accounts payable is accounts payable. Well, yes and no. There are some parallels across organizations, but then there are unique aspects of it. So once you start to look closely at it, then you start to identify where things are working right and where things may need some improvement. And then the other thing that I like to do with operational auditing is where you start to embed some of those principles into compliance reviews. So you can look at compliance and you can answer the question, yes, did they meet their requirements? But then the next question will be, well, how much effort, how many resources did they consume in the process of complying? And then I remember how early on I started kind of building this kind of philosophy of mine around it. And you start to see how inefficient, for example, some financial reporting processes are. And you say, yes, they got the financial reporting done, but it took them a lot of rework, took them a lot of time and frustration along the way to get to that endpoint. So how can we help them improve that process? And that's kind of how I've been able to develop my, my mindset around how operational auditing can be done better to help accomplish both goals. 
Yeah. So it sounds like it is much more a mindset than a, you know, I was looking for maybe, is there a question, a, a specific question we could ask of each audit um, to improve the operational audit, but it sounds like it, from your perspective, it is, it is mindset. And so we could just, yeah, we got these 25 to do this thing. Yes, 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 yes. But you're saying it's the mindset of almost like I care about the organization or, or this process or um, my own need to solve a problem and fix something is what's going to make me kind of go the extra mile. Is that what you were almost saying? Yes, there's a big part of that. So a lot of what auditors look at is uh, what did they do? Mm-hmm. and whether what they did meet uh, or, or met the expectation. And, and that's a very important question. But uh, a big part of operational auditing is how. How did they get it done? Mm-hmm. So now you start to address another dimension to the, to the operation where you start looking in terms of what is the burden to get it done. And everything that is being done in an organization is going to come at a cost. Uh, nothing is free. So it's either time or money or effort or something along those lines. So from that perspective, then, how much of a, of a trade-off is there in trying to get this task done? And this also opens another opportunity, which is another interesting thing that I've also developed over the years, which is when people talk about cost-benefit, they usually gravitate towards the monetary side of it. How much did it cost in terms of dollars and cents? Well, yes, that's important. But when you think about the human cost, there's a huge cost there too, because you have a lot of workers who are very frustrated, who are just cringing at different things that they have to do. And they get to month and quarter and year end and so on, and they just cringe at what they have to get done. So it's not just what they do, but what, how they do it and the cost. So sometimes when I, I'm doing an operational audit, uh, or just about any audit really, because I try to embed a lot of these principles, and I'll get back to another thing that you asked recently uh, in a moment. But part of it has to do with, uh, if you could change things in your work environment, what will it be? Mm-hmm. And then you start to see the wheels turning in people's heads, right? They start to think in terms of, okay, these are some of the places where my shoe hurts. And, and, and let, me, let me tell you. And then you start to talk about those kinds of things. You start looking, for example, at uh, overtime. And uh, I've had so many conversations with, with people over the years where they complain about having to work late and not being able to go to their kids, you know, little league games and soccer games and whatever it is function they have at school or family get together, friendly get together. They can't do it because they have to work like they have to deal with problems. So how can, it's it's kind of one of those questions. How can I help you leave at five o'clock? Again, it's kind of broadly stated question, but when you hear about some of those dynamics and you say, okay, how can I help you leave at five? And then you start to see them, their shoulders just kind of relax. It's like, okay, this is an interesting angle. And then they start to share with you what's not working. And that's how you start to get into operational auditing. So that's kind of the human side of it and the process side. And then in terms of techniques, one of the things that I've done quite a bit over the years is also embed quality control principles and techniques into the operational audits. So you have Six Sigma, for example, continuous quality improvement, total quality management, all of these different labels that describe quality management and using some of those in audit. And I found it to be very helpful in, in being able to do both the quantitative side of things, but also the culture and workplace type of environment, uh, environmental improvements that, that help overall the, the, the operation work better. And I think the, the takeaway for me was uh, the, the two questions that you asked and you've developed this mindset over time, but developing a mindset is really tough and it takes a long time to do. So I think 
a way of substituting a, the development of a mindset is to ask really good questions. So I think the two that you laid out were what, uh, crap, what was it? What can I do to help you? Or sorry. Um, what could you, how can I help you leave at five? How can I help you leave at five? And And what would you change? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. If if you could change anything, what will it be? Yeah. I love that question. I think that one, because I think people go, you know what? I hate this thing about the job. And if I could change it, I would love to. Um, and I think that's what we can do in internal auditors, be facilitators of change. When somebody says, I hate doing this thing, or this thing takes forever. Um, and maybe management's not listening to them for whatever reason, then if it makes right. sense, we put that as a finding and we go, and then they come back to us and go, you know what? You guys aren't that bad. I like what you do. Thanks for all the help. We're, um, we're problem solvers. Yeah. That, that's another interesting thing because we usually think of audit and a lot of people think of auditors as being the one who cause problems, mm-hmm. right? We, we, we kind of parachute in. We stir up the whole place, dig up all their problems, write a report that puts them in tr- gets them in trouble or makes them look poorly, uh, and then we leave. Mm-hmm. So, so in, in some people's minds, the auditors are, are creating more problems than solving problems. So, so this way, you kind of fast forward to solution mode and solution to a problem that exists and that people know about. So the other benefit of this also is that now they're probably going to even advocate for the suggested right. improvement. Maybe they have been trying to do it themselves before, but either way, now we are showing that we are on their side, which is the organization's side. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know offline we talked about communication, effective communication, and then we we talked about. I think the topic was um, how I would see in like data job postings this. Uh, call for effective communication. And this was, you know, a couple of years ago, no ago. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, yeah. Everybody wants that. Like, it's just, you have to put it out there. How do you even measure that? Like, it doesn't even make sense how you could understand that or gauge that. Um, and then the more data people I worked with, the more I went, oh yeah, it's really a, like the communication's a big, big deal. Uh, Cause it can go sideways quick when it comes to tech talk and, and trying to communicate to the non-technical person and vice versa. So anyway, uh, with that being said, what soft skills should every data analyst or maybe technical person learn? And then how can they actually learn it? So I think that there are two, and a big part of that is going to start with listening. Quite often when we talk about communication skills, the focus quickly becomes how can I speak or convey my meaning mm-hmm. better or easier to others? Um, but a big part of what we need to also get accustomed to is a thought of listening better so we understand them better so that then we can leverage our expertise and align it with what they're looking for their needs and wants so listening and and there aren't when you think about it in many cases you're really hard pressed to find um courses classes uh, any way of getting information how to be a become become a better listener a lot of the focus is on writing better, speaking better, et cetera, et cetera. So listening better, I think that's one. And then of course, uh, conveying on the other side, what your solution, what your thoughts are in a way that people can understand. So mm-hmm. a lot of the jargon and uh, very sophisticated language is good in some circles, but it can be counterproductive in others where it could be intimidating or turn people off. So I think we need to be very careful about that as well. And then, and then similar or within the, uh, the data analytics world, machine learning's uh, been a hot topic for a little bit now. 
Uh, there's not a lot of great use cases. There certainly are some, but not a lot of great ones. How are you seeing that applied in the profession? Uh, yeah, so some of it is, is uh, manifesting itself in compliance. So it's kind of traditional to, to what auditors do, but a lot of it is re, uh, removing the, the tedious aspect of compliance checking. So did something happen? Did uh, this number match that number, whether that number happens to be a date, an amount, an account number, or something like it? Um, so being able to run through large data sets and being able to determine whether or not things are like they're supposed to, could also be a ratio, uh, things within a certain tolerance, a yield, right? All of those dynamics can be done very effortlessly, let's call it that, by the machines. So now we have that happening. Now in terms of, uh, so a lot of it will probably be more like RPA kind of thing and artificial mm -hmm. intelligence, but machine learning is where now the computers are starting to learn on their own, right? It, it, it's kind of figuring out with some coaching by humans, especially at first, but how, uh, what's, what's okay and what's not. So from that perspective, we're seeing some of that happening with things that are going to start to go beyond compliance and operations and into, for example, fraud where you start to now look for anomalies. And, and that is one of the things we can look for, right? Quality control will kind of identify those outliers and machine learning can help you with that. Same with fraud, which is again, looking for anomalies that'll tell you that someone is doing something that is inappropriate. And that is, I guess, one of the big use cases for it, where especially think about, for example, no, I don't wanna just limit it to financial or, um, um, data heavy organizations like mm -hmm. uh, financial services mm -hmm. and utilities, but they become very good use cases because they have so much data. They collect so much data, they move so much data on a daily basis. And of course, a lot of transactions, but that also becomes something that is now available to even other organizations that may not be as uh, data heavy as those. So you can now find a lower price point and a very easy transition and adoption of, of machine learning for those organizations too. But I think a lot of it will fall uh, at least early on into the compliance, quality control and fraud. Yeah, perfect. And we've hit on all, some somewhat random topics, um, operational audits, data, tools, soft skills. I mean, those are usually we take one of those and, and make that an entire show, but given your, your background, uh, I wanted to get your opinion on uh, your opinion on those uh, somewhat selfishly. Those are the questions that I had and I was curious about. Mm -hmm. And so with that said, I did want to give you obviously a chance. Is there anything that you would want to leave the audience with? I think uh, an important dynamic that's playing out now, well, two of them really. Uh, one of them has to do with work from home. I think as we think about the profession and how we have traditionally organized ourselves in teams and in the workplace, a lot of it had to do with seeing people and, and having them nearby. We've always had multinational organizations that had remote auditors and we mm -hmm. had to work with that and, and bring them in periodically and so on. I think that that is an interesting topic to look at, at how the workplace is evolving and how audit needs to adapt to that in a broader sense, because it's not just for those multinationals anymore. It is just about every organization that near or far, you have people who are remote, so how are we going to uh, keep them informed? How are we going to keep them motivated? How are we going to build bonds between the staff? The other big topic that I think is interesting to look at is in terms of how people learn. So the traditional approach has been, you go to college or university for a while, 
pile, maybe even graduate school, you get a certification or something like that. And then you go to your training 40 CPs per year or something like it. Quite often you go to a class or a conference mm -hmm. and, and a lot of it was on site, right? You, you go someplace and you get your training. Well, once again, now that we're seeing a very decentralized and technology heavy interaction dynamic playing out, how are people going to learn? And are they ready to learn in that new modality? And I think that learning to unlearn and learning to relearn becomes very important too, because everything is changing so rapidly and fundamentally. So I believe that those two are very interesting dynamics that are happening around us very quickly, and we need to adapt somehow and thrive in it, because that's, that, that's kind of what the future looks like, and I think we need to be ready. We need to be future ready. When, when we say learning how to unlearn, what is it that we should be unlearning? So some of the expectations, for example, uh, we, we used to very much rely on, um, uh, let's say, um, having someone teach you something, right? You have someone who will show you something or tell you something. Now you have to research on your own in many cases or find where the information may be. Some things are easy to obtain now. People can go to Google, for example, and there's a video or something out there in many cases. But how do you then learn that based on that way of the content being delivered to you? How do you then uh, adapt it to your environment if you need to tweak it? Because in some cases, there's going to be some adaptation necessary. So who do you go to when you have a question? Because if you don't have the instructor there next to you, who do you ask? Right. So being able to be resourceful. And then the other dynamic here is in terms of procrastination. So again, another interesting human dynamic where if you're going to a class, you have a date, you have a location, you have the instructor in front of you who is going to prod you, if you will, to, to do this, do that, you know, respond to this question, participate in that exercise, come back tomorrow with this information or something like it. You're on your own. So we have to relearn how to manage your time, how to be self-motivated and how to stay on task because you don't have someone next to you. This applies to the training and learning side of things, but also when it comes to work. If you're going to work from home and you have your refrigerator calling you, you have your yard and your garden calling you, you have the dry cleaners calling you and, and so many other distractors, right? How do you make sure that you don't drift and you don't fall behind in terms of what you're supposed to do? So unlearning some of the, the, the practices and old habits and how we relearn what we need to learn in terms of technical skills, soft skills, personal management, self-management skills and interaction with others. All of these dynamics are now uh, are, are for, for discussion and, and revisiting. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.